What's up, everybody? We are back this week with another fantastic episode of the Fetch It podcast, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host. How are you doing today, Yoni? I'm good. I'm good. I think we just had one of the best episodes, if not the best episode so far. Why don't you tell us a little bit what you thought, David? Dude, well, first of all, you know, you and I were both Midwest boys at heart. You know, I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. You're actually in Cleveland right now in the wonderful 40 degree grayness, you know. And um, so we had Sarah Glidewell and Emily Carnez on today. And cumulatively, they are the Carwells on Instagram. And they are designing phenoms and not only design, but we went way beyond that into a business masterclass on how you can start out, you know, with just a little bit, and then you can scale to these crazy levels to where now these girls are getting together with investors and they are raising capital. So everybody that wants to wonder, oh, or everybody that asks, how can I get started in Airbnb or how can I move forward or get past this hump because I ran out of cash? The way that you get past it is you start talking to people about what you're doing and they, you know, grew their Instagram following. And now with their Instagram following and with the great work that they've been doing and also their design consulting business, they had repeat customers that were coming back to them saying, hey, we did so good with this last project. We're making really good money. Let's do some more. And so now they have been structuring partnerships with people to where they bring on the investor. The investor provides all the capital. They bring in the sweat equity and their phenomenal design work. And these properties are knocking it out of the park. And so if you want a masterclass on they started out with arbitrage and then going into design, what things to look for, learning how you can make really good money in middle of nowhere markets like in the Midwest, and then getting into the raising capital side of things. This 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 episode had a little bit of everything. It was absolutely fantastic. I think the thing that I want people to take from this is you don't have to start Uber, you don't have to start Airbnb, you don't have to start some, you know, biotech business. These people were design experts, and then they noticed that people that are making money are raising and buying properties. So they combine the two. They're buying, they're raising money off the backs of their design expertise and deploying, and they are absolute queens. And so for all our female listeners, this is very inspiring. And honestly, for the male listeners too, because if you have analysis paralysis, these people jumped into arbitrage and eventually became you know, raising money and designing properties like champs. So I, I was so impressed. And to be honest, I have a lot to think about after this conversation and podcast. <laughs> so I feel like I'm not doing enough. And so I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. And one thing that I think that a lot of people need to uh, take away from this as well is people, I think gone are the times of being able to make money on Airbnb just because you threw something together. And now it's the people that are making money are the Carwells of the world to where they are designing properties with thought in mind because one of the best lines that they had in the, the entire show, and I won't spoil the whole thing, but it was talking about how people are coming to their properties because they're kind of in the middle of nowhere. They're not even having AirDNA comps, but they are designing their properties so well because people are coming to their property to see the property itself. And so you can't have, you know, grandma's furniture inside there and expect people to want to come to your property. So it's really, really important to be able to strive for being in that top 10%, that top 5% of the market. Because if you're there, even if the market's saturated, you're still going to crush it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you guys got to listen to this. We're going to stop talking about it. Yeah. Let's get into the episode. 
It, this is A++ material. All right, let's bring them in. All right, what's up, everybody? We are back today with another episode of the Fetch It podcast with a couple of rock star hosts. Uh, we have today with us Emily Carnez and Sarah Glidewell. They are some Airbnb experts, design aficionados, and they are going to school us today on how you should set up your Airbnbs how to get the most bang for your buck and why design is so important. So uh, whichever one of you wants to go first, please introduce yourselves, who you are, where you're from, what you're about. Yeah, Emily, go ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hi, guys. Thanks for having us on. So I'm Emily. I am 50% of the Carwells. And um, we're both from Michigan originally. Uh, we moved to Texas for a little bit, and that's actually where we got our start in Airbnb uh, in the pandemic. I was jobless after getting a master's degree and Sarah's arbitrage portfolio was, I'll let her tell you how that was going. Um, <laughs> and so we started designing for other hosts because at that time, hosts were taking advantage of the fact that a lot of apartments were opening up, but they couldn't scale fast enough. So we found a gap in the market, used our creative brains and started designing for other hosts. And from then to now, we've built a social media community around Airbnb. We've been able to work for a fund and start investing on our own. I actually just purchased my first home that is going to be turning into an Airbnb last September that I'm sitting in right now and designing. So that's how I got into it. Fantastic. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, I'm the other 50% of the Carwells. <laughs> Um, we started designing, like Emily said, because I had started a portfolio of arbitrage properties in downtown Dallas that hit the market on March 8th of 2020 and travel came <laughs> to a screeching halt. Um, I had saved up a year's worth of income to pour into those properties and didn't see any profit from those properties for nearly a year. Um, you know, a lot of people in the market that were in remote areas, like really crushed it during COVID and being in downtown Dallas, we did not crush it. <laughs> yeah. Total opposite. Um, but we did spend a ton of time designing for other investors that were ready to scale in the pandemic with landlords who were desperate. So um, we really started learning right away on how uh, big of an impact design makes on your overall profitability in an Airbnb. And so since then, we've been riding that train. <laughs> was was this in the near up uptown Dallas? <laughs> yeah, it was. And we have a little Dallas experience here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I immediately got out. Well, like the year after my leases were up, I moved them all to Fort Worth because it was significantly more profitable and and had less competition. And those properties are still rolling, or or some of them are still rolling. They're still doing really well. Okay. That was actually going to be something I was going to, you know, touch on was so a lot of people like their first forte into getting into Airbnb is usually, well, I wouldn't say usually, but a lot of people now they know that arbitrage is a cheaper way that people can get in, you know, lower money down. You're not purchasing a property. And so what things do you think that you guys did right with those properties? Cause those you know, as your first ones and what things did you maybe do that you're looking back now, you could have done better because a lot of people listening may not have anything. So what, what things could they maybe uh, save themselves from having to go through? <laughs> so many things. <laughs> <They've been failed laughs> so many times. Um, so when I first opened the four arbitrage properties in Dallas, I was so scared to invest my money because it took me a full year to earn that money to invest it. And so I really cut a lot of corners. Like I didn't put cameras on the property. I used futons instead of sofas. I didn't use high quality anything. Um, and in turn, it brought in a pretty rough clientele. 
And so, you know, on top of COVID happening, um, July 4th of 2020, I got a call from my cleaners and my cleaner was like, Hey, I just walked into one of your units and it's completely empty. Like there is not a single piece of furniture in here. There's no decor. There's no, there's nothing. Oh, no. It's, it looks like a vacant unit. And they had booked through booking.com and booking.com does not have the insurance policy that Airbnb and VRBO have. I didn't know anything about short-term rental insurance. <laughs> so I only had on regular renters insurance. So I would have had to like commit insurance fraud had I like made a claim, which I wasn't willing to do. And I didn't have cameras on my unit because I cheaped out on it. So like, <laughs> it was just, it was a loss. It was a loss all the way around. Um, so, I mean, we have learned some really harsh lessons, but through that year, after that year was kind of said and done and we moved them to Fort Worth, we spent way more money on furniture. We targeted properties that were significantly more high-end and we offered a much more high-end much more design focused experience for our guests and since then we've been uh we've been rocking and rolling that's awesome yeah so i think there's a big big lesson to be had there because i i'm, I'm also in that same boat i think there is a lot to be on, you know, you hear about these people that are, oh, I've got, you know, 100 units, 150 units, all this stuff. But, you know, they might be a little studio that has, you know, nothing but Ikea furniture in it, and they're only renting it for 60 bucks a night. And then you imagine the headaches that come with that. But instead, if you had, you know, 20 units that you're charging five times the amount, you're having less work making probably the same amount of money or maybe even more. And so it just makes life so much more easier on you. And the guest is a much higher quality guest typically. And you might have a little bit more of a uh, high maintenance people, but who knows? I mean, uh, that's, that's usually the way that I try and cater my Airbnbs that I do um, in Fort Wayne. I only do medium term rentals, but I make sure that I do them really, really well. I charge a little bit more than people. And I think whenever people are looking, because my wife and I, we've been, you know, like we talked about before we hopped on, we've been traveling around for like the last seven months staying in Airbnbs. And uh, whenever it's a little bit more expensive than the other ones, and like there's a similar property, but I'm looking at it like this one just looks a little bit more professional. It just makes you feel so much better. You're willing to pay the little bit of extra to be like, I think this host has their business together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned to have a second there on how the back end operations is easier too. It's like, for me, when I'm looking at different people's strategies in the space, I always use the example of Sean Raka Zichi or whoever. Rachajik, yeah. Garbage, yeah, big arbitrage guy. <laughs> and then Michael Lafonte, who's a big single family home purchaser. And when you look at those two, like they may be making similar profits. But who's got more work on the back end, right? It's like Michael's going to have to have six check-ins and six checkouts, whereas Sean's going to have like literally 200 check-in and check-outs. And so mm. on the back end, I'm like, I'm not, arbitrage is not something that was like attractive to scale. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, Go ahead, Yoni. I have a quick question. When you said you switched to sort of these higher end Fort Worth properties, this is something that I was actually dealing with earlier today. Was there a minimum bedroom bathroom count you were looking for when you were doing that? Where you're like, I don't go below X amount. There was nothing like that. No, okay. at the time when we were doing arbitrage, they were all one ones. So a small, actually the one, our most profitable one is a studio. So it's not even a one one. It's just one big room. Yeah, I will say, um, piggybacking off of that, when we were talking to investors, though, because like, if you look at the Dallas market, it was swamped with one ones. So anytime somebody was like, what do you think we should be doing in Dallas? We were like, look at two twos, because there's not nearly enough of those. But the Fort Worth market, because it wasn't nearly as big, that wasn't so much of a thing to pay attention to. 
Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. So we're speaking, we're, we're talking about markets. And so we're in Texas. And so is that where the majority of your portfolio is now? Or where are you guys branching out? Or where where are you guys mainly focused now? I'll let Emily answer that one. <laughs> we are focused completely in Michigan now. We figured out that Michigan is a pretty untapped market. I feel like we say this every single time we talk about it, but every house in Michigan looks like grandma's house. And <laughs> everybody's cabins are just used as like family cabins. They throw as many beds as they can possibly get in there. And then a few years ago, people started figuring out that they could put them on Airbnb when their family's not using them and make a little extra money. But if you can get on a lake with somebody who has a property like that and put honestly minimal effort into design and just make sure you have good amenities, your property is going to perform way better than the other ones. And so that's why we've really nailed down in the Michigan market specifically and avoided the really saturated markets. So are you noticing that, because I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so, you know, kind of in that neck of the woods, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where my portfolio is at. Um, so I've been thinking about, uh, you know, finding something between myself and Fort Wayne in Chicago. Do you find that your most of your clientele is people coming from Chicago trying to get out of the city? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yes. that. And um, Michigan people travel in Michigan is the thing, especially so like, in the summer, they'll want to go to the lake with all their friends for a nice weekend or in the winter, they're going up north and snowmobiling or skiing or snowboarding or stuff like that. So it's pretty easy to get like people within Michigan into these properties, it doesn't necessarily have to like rely on out of state travel. Yeah. And I'll piggyback on that for half a second too. It's like, I have a property on the East side and I have a property on the West side and the property on the West side is like 60% Chicago traffic. Um, It's just people wanting to get out of the city and want to be out in the middle of nowhere. And Michigan is the place that they do that. But on the other side of the state, it's a lot of Detroit traffic. So we are seeing kind of a similar dynamic of Chicago and Detroit traveling up North, but it depends on what side of the state you're on to kind of decide who your clientele is going to be. So I actually have some questions about Michigan. So I'm I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. So, uh, you know, the Michigan Ohio State rivalry rivalry thing is mm. very much alive. <laughs> go um, blue, yeah, go, go green. Blue. <laughs> my uh, my my dad went to Michigan, and uh, I have siblings that went to Ohio State, and I went to University of Miami. So it's a confused house. But um, but so I I I've spent a lot of time in Michigan on business, and there's Detroit, there's West Bloomfield, there's Grand Rapids, then there's um I forget like some very nice areas out by the water up north. Um, are the are the properties that you're focused on that you're referencing in Michigan? Are they all over, or is one city like like is there a cluster of partner properties in one place? Like because I know it's very it's very different um, in different parts of the state and. Um, it's nearby us. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious how they're different. Yeah, we are not. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're picking about the highest risk properties you can pick. Um, we always tell people that we're bad investors because we kind of go <laughs> against the grain in a lot of ways. And um, what I like to tell people is we like to be the McDonald's, not the Burger King. So you've got McDonald's who like picks a place and is team A, and then you've got Burger King who parks it across the corner, right? And And so we really are being the McDonald's where when we're on AirDNA and we pull up a market where it says you're going to make $60,000 a year, we're making six figures in those markets. Um, So it's not the Traverse cities. It's not the Grand Rapids. It's not the Detroit's it's, it's out in the middle of nowhere in these little one stoplight towns that are on a lake because people want to be out in the middle of nowhere. So 
it really like kind of plays into why we double down on amenities and design because we know the people who are coming to our area are coming for the property itself and not for what's around the property. Shout out to Rabbi Basola. Like, you know, David and I are both host campers. So he talks about eclectic towns. You're basically describing eclectic towns. So I love that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the major cities in Michigan too do have pretty strict regulations. At least I know that they're working on getting that changed to where it's just like a flat rules across the state, but like Grand Rapids, if you're in like a certain area, you can't Airbnb at all. Um, I know Traverse City is pretty strict on that as well, but yeah, I mean like mine's completely opposite of Traverse City and I had never heard of the town that I bought my house in if I'm being <laughs> completely honest but I love it and when if, after I came here everybody's like there's so much to do there I'm like perfect because I was just comping it <laughs> so I, I think what what uh Sarah said I, I just wanted to touch on that again that was so so good to where you're saying that people you you make sure that you're doing a really really good job on having like a, a kind of a unique property or something cool that has cool amenities and then designing it really well because people are coming there for the property you know if, if it's Miami you know you could be in just a little one bed one bath apartment that you don't care about because you're going to be out on the town all night but if you're going somewhere with like three other couples to a three bedroom cabin that has a hot tub out back or a lake or something like that you're going there because you're going to stay in the cabin you're going to enjoy it you're going to be having company so the design and the property itself is super super important. And I love that because I, myself being from the Midwest, I mean, I, I grew up uh, South of Fort Wayne and literally the middle of nowhere. And so we moved to Fort Wayne, which is still the middle of nowhere. And like, <laughs> there's just nothing to do around. I keep telling my wife this, and we're going to be doing something kind of similar to what you guys are to where like, there's nothing within a couple hours drive of Fort Wayne. And I'm like, if you would find anything out there, people are going to find it interesting. So there's, there's this huge untapped market, which is essentially the entire United States, because now people are realizing that, Hey, if we just want to go on a, a, a cool little getaway, a unique thing, we can just search all over the place and find something because it doesn't need to be in these big cities for somebody to have something cool. And I, I just love that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more though. I just, I think it's one of those things where it is high risk, high reward, but your competition levels stay low and you get people who are coming back year after year because they, they think it's a hidden gem and it really is. Yeah, absolutely. Question for b both Sarah or Emily, whoever wants to take it is, I, I love this eclectic towns thing. Like as you guys were describing it, there's a particular, um, there's a place called Waco, Texas, which you probably are familiar with. And there's a, 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 a there's a property there that, that's gotten a lot of fame. It's a bunch of, um, I believe they're A-frames um, out there by, by water. Um, so when I think, when I was thinking about the description, I was thinking about that, that type of property inspired me to build A-frames in Tennessee. I'm wondering if there is a property for you that inspired your design chops into getting into certain types of properties or working with certain types of people. Is there, is there an Airbnb in your mind that you're like, that's my favorite one ever that fits my business thesis, hypothesis, whatever. Is there one that like sticks out? You're like, that's the goat. That's the greatest. I know what Sarah's is. I think ours are different, <laughs> yeah. but I, I know what Sarah's is. <laughs> yeah. Mine just went up for sale. And honestly, I've, I've kind of got a two part answer to this because it doesn't, my like goat of Airbnbs doesn't play into the Airbnbs that we've selected so far. So the the lake house thing for us in Michigan, honestly, I think stemmed from the fact that we had a couple of friends when we were growing up who had lake houses and just having exposure to life on the lake in Michigan, you just like, 
it's a whole different vibe right like every lake has a boat culture and you know all of these lakes fill with all the people who these are just their summer homes and it just like comes alive and and then in the winter it's got a whole different vibe where it's very like secluded and and so for us in buying these lake houses we're kind of like fulfilling childhood dreams right of like oh my gosh this was like the epitome of like home ownership in michigan um, but the goat property for me that just went up for sale for $18 million is Ooh. the Joshua Tree Invisible House. Oh, uh, I've seen that. I just think that whoever, like, it makes no sense, right? It's like one of those things that I would have loved to have been in the room when they were designing or pitching that idea. I just think it is like the epitome of one of one of something that is ridiculous, of something that's really bold, of something that you have no proof of concept that it's going to work but it absolutely worked. Um, so that's kind of like my North star where I'm like, okay, one day it doesn't have to look like the invisible house, but one day I would love to create something that people look at and they're like, where did they come up with that idea? <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. All right, Emily, now what's yours? Mine actually, Sarah has stayed in. I watched a YouTube video on this property. I think it's called the ledge. I've seen it called like uh, something cavern too on the YouTube video, but it's in Ohio near Hawking Hills. And it is, it's just beautiful. It's my design style. Like literally I would probably have my house designed exactly the same as this. And it's just, I like the model that they're kind of taking it and not exactly copying and pasting it into their other properties that they're creating, but they're all really similar. They're all like built into caves and things like that. And it's just a really unique experience. And then you can just stay at the property if you want to, but you're close enough to a lot of stuff like hiking and stuff like that, that you can go and do it. And I just think that that model, after I saw that YouTube video, I was like, I need one of those. Like, even if it's just one, I just want one property that looks like that. So are you talking about the one that was like built into the cave that Levi Kelly went and saw in Hocking Hills? Have you seen that one? I saw that I saw like not the video on it recently, but I did see a oh, okay. post on that one recently. And I was like, holy cow, that one's so cool. But this one is like, um, it's kind of like right over or right next to like a cavern. And they just like recently put lights in the cavern. So like somebody people can take photos mm -hmm. of the lights like reflecting off of it. It's just a really beautifully designed property. And it's so cool. It's like it, all we'll, windows. We'll have... Oh, continue. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was, no I was going to say, we'll, we'll have you guys send us, if you guys have like the, them saved or something like that, send us the link and we'll put it down in the YouTube description so people can check them out. But I would say for me, mine would probably be the cave in Hocking Hills. It was just, it's incredibly designed. It's super unique. It's like, like you said, it's basically, why would anybody think of that? How, who, what was going on in the room whenever they decided it? And it's so unique and it's so cool. And from a quote unquote, real estate, like business side, doesn't make any sense but from an airbnb creative side it crushes it like i think they're doing 600 bucks a night or something like that but yoni do you have oh. anything in mind what's what's your go we haven't talked about that so emily's gonna like this one because it's also in hocking hills and i wanted to build it so badly in tennessee and because they wouldn't approve it i switched to a-frames so we'll talk offline a little bit of it about that there is a there's a series of properties on about 19 acres called the box hop. And when I, when I first got into development, um, I, I, I saw it and I said, I, I, I got to build this. It's the craziest container home structure I've ever seen. The design would make you and Sarah go crazy. The interior and exterior, 
is so well done from the tile to where the jacuzzi is placed to the way the walkway is, is gorgeous. And it inspired me as like a know nothing about design person. Um, I'm like a software hustler guy. I'm not, I'm not that. I wanted to build it, but in locally in Tennessee, they told me they would not allow container homes, but it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever, most creative things I've ever seen done. And now they have several box hops in Hocking Hills. That's, that's literally one of my dreams is having like a property with a bunch of shipping container homes on it. That's the thing about the ledge, this property in and like the fireplaces it's one of those properties that you have to have enough under your belt that making those irresponsible financial decisions on furniture <laughs> is just fine because there's no way for like the house i'm in now i would ever spend as much as that couch costs or like the rugs or the wallpaper and stuff like that but it's like an art piece while also being a property so so the, the takeaway that we have is emily has very expensive taste oh absolutely <laughs> how are you That's supposed hilarious. to not have expensive taste when you're into design <laughs> Love that. Love that. Okay. Uh, well, uh, so we had our, our talk about favorite uh, areas that we're investing in. So, you know, you guys have been doing a lot of design for people. And then are you guys, I, I didn't know if I catch that. Are you guys also managing for people like doing co-hosting or do you, you guys have all of your own? We do not co-host for people. We actually don't even design for people anymore. We only design for ourselves. Um, but now we, well, I shouldn't say that we designed for ourselves and the last we're raising capital. So now we've kind of figured out where we started in just designing and like having a flat rate and having people hire us. And now that we really understand the industry as a whole um, and we can analyze and find deals and, and get funding and so on and so forth, um, we've partnered with a lot of the investors that we worked with before or investors that we've met since then. And we will structure the entire deal ourselves. Um, and then trade our design and sweat equity for a portion of the cash flow and um, and the equity in the house. So we still design for other people a little bit, but we definitely structure the deals to be more advantageous to us now. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating because I I actually am somewhat in a similar boat with you guys. I I've got some investors that have been trying to you know they've been saying hey we like what you're doing we want to get in with you guys but that's something that I've been reading a lot of books on talking with a lot of people so you and I might need to talk offline try and figure out like so how structuring these deals and like you know how to make sure that it's a win win for everybody you know how to find capital because there's a lot of people out there that you know they've got the hustle they may have a few deals under their belt they're really really good at what they're doing but they're tapped out on equity or they're tapped out on capital, I mean. So then they might want to bring on a capital partner that could do something along those lines. Could, do you, would you mind show, or sharing like what some of the splits are, or any of the, the financial details? It's okay if you don't want to. Yeah, no, I think Emily and I are pretty uh, open. <laughs> um, last year, we both worked with Superhost Labs, which was a fund, and our entire intent in joining them was really to learn how to structure deals and how to maximize our end of the deal, right? Like, for us as designers, we didn't really understand at the beginning what impact design made and, and you know, what it's worth to be the boots on the ground and so on and so forth. Um, so now if we are structuring a deal, we're going in with the intent that we are handling it top to bottom, right? Our pitch is that we are going to make it completely 100% passive for the investor and we try and split that 50-50. So we're splitting cash flow 50-50, we're splitting equity 50-50. Um, and what we found is it's always interesting getting in those negotiations because you really see why they're motivated to get into this deal. And so sometimes they'll want more equity than cash flow. Sometimes they'll want more tax benefits than cash flow or whatever the case may be. But when investors are at that level, 
what we've noticed is that cash flow is not the thing that they're focused on the most. And that is the thing that we're focused on the most. So a lot of times it has a really nice marriage where um, we'll start at 50, 50, and then we will end with more cash flow and they will end with more equity. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's something that's similar to my situation, you know, cause I, I worked in, you know, healthcare prior to this and I will still technically work in healthcare and uh, you know, had some physicians that, you know, they make a lot of money, but they don't have the time to try and figure out how to get an Airbnb. They know that short-term rentals are good. They know that real estate is good, but there's a lot of people. And I think people would be shocked if they just tap their network a little bit. And we were at a uh, host con in Houston, Rob Abasola's event, and Amy Majuri, she was one of the speakers out there and she is a boss at raising private capital. And so uh, whenever we listened to her and I got the chance to talk to her afterwards, she was just like, you would just be absolutely shocked at the amount of people that you could raise private capital from to be able to you know, bring together these deals. Because there's so many people with capital sitting on the sidelines that want to get into it, but they just don't have the desire or the time to be able to do it. So you, one of the big mind shifts that I have you know, I kept thinking I need the cash. I'm the one that's, you know, trying to almost beg for this because it's something that I need. And she's like, oh, no, 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 you don't, you don't do that. She was like, no, you are bringing an opportunity to them. She was like, they need to pitch you on why you're a good partner to come with them. And I thought that was, that was fantastic. So that's really cool that you guys are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's changed our lives. I mean, it's been one of those things that we kind of thought about it the same way that you did, right? Especially in coming from design where designers aren't paid well, right? I mean, I guess maybe if you're like an ultra luxury designer, sure. But the average interior designer is like making 50 grand or less a year. And so, you know, it's not like, like learning how to analyze a deal is not rocket science, right? And so once you have that skill and you start piling on all these other valuable skills with your design, all of a sudden we are the most sought after person in the room, right? Because we're having the highest returns on our properties. And so a lot of investors who are looking at pouring their capital in, they want someone who can make it a top performing property. And so that's really been kind of our cornerstone. So Sarah, I, I, I have a question for you. You're, you're a unique, you both are unique, Emily as well, skill set combination. Now that you're, you're raising money and you're designing the units in a unique way. Are there like design themes that you love that the audience can learn from that you focus on sometimes your go-to is it like bohemian or minimalist or maximalist or do you not even think in that way and that's just my basic brain is just spewing out things like that or uh, another way i think you might be asking is like what's what's the highest return type of things people can do with their design like what's what's design do's what's design don'ts what works what doesn't work because you guys are obviously fantastic at it and you've been you know through a lot of properties what are you guys seeing that really really works do you want to go first? I'll piggyback off of yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we were doing one bed, one baths, like if somebody's getting into arbitrage, because the competition level is so high, it's really like punchy colors that are going to make you stand out. Instagrammable moments are the things that we were really focusing on when we were designing for other clients or even in like our personal arbitrage portfolio. It We have to stand out because there's probably... 10, 15, 20 other Airbnbs in that building, especially in the market that we were in. When it comes to houses specifically, a lot of it is based on the market that we're in, the existing finishes in the house, because if we don't have to change those, we're not going to because there's not really an ROI attached to that change. So like this house specifically, I'm like in Northern Michigan, I'm in like, a it stays pretty cold and windy here. So I'm making it like a lodge theme, but not like moose or stuff like that. Like it's a lot of plaid and yeah, not like that. So 
we try to base it a little bit on the area that we're in, which I know is like kind of annoying for somebody to hear that like, it's not just like a standard across the board type of a thing. But then if you look at Orange Cadillac that Sarah just did, that one had a lot of character. And so Sarah played off of the character that was existing in the house with her design. So there was like this really cool tile that she kind of played off of with wallpaper and colors and things like that. And so you have to come at each property with a different mindset. And then with like arbitrage, like I said, a lot of it's like white walls, gray cabinets and some like interesting countertops and you can really play a lot more with color and like whatever design style you like more in those properties but if you don't have to change a finish in your house don't do it just work around it (laughs) yeah and I'll kind of piggyback that with Emily too like when we think about design we really fought at the beginning with the investor right because we're dealing with a lot of investors who are coming from long-term rentals into short-term rentals and so in long-term rentals it's like you are putting in the bare minimum because you make your money on the front end, right? With your numbers. And so you're stuck on those numbers no matter what. Whereas in short-term rentals, it's a whole different ball game. It's almost like the more money you spend in theory, I mean, there is a cap to it, but the better performing property you have. And so for us, we like to tell people it's like a, a copy paste of your best competitor in your market, but level them up. And so, you know, for us, we don't like to come at it with a bias standpoint of like, well, we have a bohemian style. So we're going to emulate that in every single property. For us, we're like, okay, how, who's making a ton of money right now? How are they making a ton of money right now? And let's copy paste that in here, but then take it one step further. Um, And that's a little bit of a challenge in Michigan specifically, because there isn't anyone that's like an apples to apples comparison. So in that case scenario, we'll look outside of our market and we'll say, okay, what's working in similar markets that are more robust. Let's take that and move it over here and see if it has the same impact over here as it's having over there. And so that's far cool. that has worked. <laughs> that, that, that's that. very cool. I really like the way you, you, you guys think that that's very cool. So what, by the way, just flashing forward, we always ask like how people can reach out to you at the end of the podcast. But what I want to ask here is similar, but different is, seems like investors are coming to you and saying, you're, you're the expert in this way. I want to deploy capital. Are you always raising money or is there a way for somebody who's listening and saying, Hey, I don't, I just want to deploy capital and I want to do it with them. What, where, what would be the first step that they would do with you guys? Yeah. So on all of our social media, we have a link in our bio. um, And in that link, there's a spot that says invest with us and it just collects their name, their phone number, their email. Um, we're not always raising capital, you know, we, we don't have the systems built out yet to take on all the money in the world. And for us, you know, we are really adamant about making sure that the quality of product that we're offering to these investors stays really high. So it's really hard to outsource that work and make sure that, you know, we're giving investors the return that they're expecting when dealing with us. So in that email list, whenever we do have a property that we latch onto that we're like, yep, this is one that we're passionate about that we know that we can copy and paste our own method into, we will put together a deck, we'll explain, you know, whatever property we're doing, what the numbers look like, what the returns could look like. And then we email it out to that group. And then we host a webinar, we present the property, and then we start uh, having one-on-one conversations and trying to find the right investors. Because even though a lot of people are willing to hand us money, it really is about making sure that the right people are on the right property. 
Absolutely. That's, awesome. That's fantastic. You guys are crushing it. Um, okay. So we are uh, like 45 minutes has flown by. Um, so we will uh, be respectful of time and we will start moving into some of our closing questions. But I had one more question that just popped into my head because keep mentioning Michigan and I know how dang cold it gets in the Midwest. And so how are you guys, you know, using your design and using your amenities to make sure that you're trying to, you know, avoid seasonality as much as possible because you mentioned like okay yours is kind of like more of a cabiny type or like a, a lodge so you wanted to keep it cozy because it gets cold in michigan in the winter time so like what are some things that you guys are doing to make sure that you're you know trying to pull in as many people during the winter time as well yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah so we always prioritize having like game rooms and board games and things that they can all do inside a big priority of ours is making sure that the dining table can seat every single person who is going to be staying there so that they can all gather around the table play card games play euchre if you're from the midwest oh yeah um, <laughs> and then one thing that we always prioritize and oddly enough if you look in a lot of markets and we say this all the time but not a lot of people have this and so that's why it kind of puts our properties a step ahead is prioritizing having a hot tub that combats so much seasonality in michigan and not a lot of Michigan properties have them. So that's one big thing. And then the game room stuff, I'll let Sarah add more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That hot tub. I mean, in one of the markets that we just launched in Michigan, there are 30 Airbnbs in that town and zero of them have hot tubs. And so, I mean, if you're familiar with Price Labs, you can see Price Labs will give you a 7, 15 and 30 day check on your occupancy versus the rest of the markets. And I looked at it yesterday and ours is at 60% occupancy and the rest of the markets is at like 13 to 17. Oh and so gosh. it's one of those things where you're like, okay, it is a big investment, right? And it can be a pain in the butt to deal with, but you are making, I mean, you're making a hundred percent return on that hot tub and you're one and every year after that, you know? And so even if you had to replace the hot tub once a year, it still would make sense to have the hot tub. Um, so for us, it's just really making sure that when we're thinking about the properties we're purchasing, we want to make sure that there's a lot of indoor amenities, just like Emily said, where they can dine together, they can watch movies together, they don't have to leave the interior, except for that hot tub. And if we can kind of create that space where they can enjoy the winter when it, winter isn't enjoyable, then it's two thumbs up from us. That's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's a oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, especially because snowmobiling and skiing and snowboarding oh. and winter activities are a lot of the reason that people travel like up north where a lot of our properties are having that hot tub to come back to. That's like such a big selling factor. They could stay at the lodge if they want to, but why not stay at your house where you have a private hot tub that you don't have to share with everybody at the lodge? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. There's, there's uh, somebody that just popped into my head. It's a investor that I know from back home and he um, strictly invests in Indiana and Ohio, as far as I know right now. And he buys houses in literally the middle of nowhere, but his only criteria is it has to have an indoor pool because there's nothing to do in the Midwest in the middle of the winter. And so he said, if you have an indoor pool, you can charge a thousand dollars a night in the middle of February, because these parents, they've got their kids that are going nuts inside their house and they just go crazy inside the pool. And he said, you can charge crazy amounts of money for it. And he's crushing it. And I'm like, that is so dang true. And so that, yeah, goes right on the same thread of you guys. That's fantastic. Um, I, I, I think the ahead. lesson in general that I'm hearing from you guys is leveraging your unique skill sets and just doing things you don't have to create the next uber or even airbnb but just do things just two degrees to the right or left of, of other people and you can you know you can have your own 
bit what what starts off as probably a small niche but become very valuable from a dollar's perspective but look at you you're you're designing and now you're raising capital and buying these properties it's like one of the more unique stories i've ever heard i mean you hear about people syndicating but never in this way and i think i'm i'm super impressed i mean i'm we're, we're going to get to the personal questions but i just wanted to give you that well earned love Oh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, you make you make a good point about you know in these properties, it is a little bit harder to raise capital for some of these properties because it takes people who see the vision. Because you can't provide the same data that you can provide if you're entering into Nashville or Scottsdale or Florida or whatever else, right? Like you've got to have people that like can read between the lines as opposed to just like face value. So it takes a little bit of extra effort, but it's definitely high risk, high reward. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the best things that I ever heard from Rob during all of his, you know, stuff that we've listened to, he just said, it doesn't really matter what the market is like, as long as you're in the top 10% of whatever market you're in, you're good. Like that, it doesn't matter after that. And you guys are obviously phenomenal at being at in probably the top 1% of whatever markets you guys are in. So you guys are crushing it. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, this kind of ties in a little bit with what we were talking about, but um, what's the biggest struggle that you guys have in your business right now? And how could listeners help you guys out? Uh, so many struggles. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think our biggest struggle right now, honestly, is delegation. I think that, you know, we're a lot like Maddie in the way that Maddie is so particular about design and we also are so particular about design and it kind of is that intangible that's hard to replicate, which is what makes us successful, but makes us also really hard to duplicate and scale. So that's definitely a, a wall that we've run into a bunch where we just, you know, it's, you, you can't, I don't know, it's really hard to teach someone to do it as thoughtfully as we want it done. So that seems to be our brick wall. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of been um my my wife. She did all of the design for all of ours. She's phenomenal. But it's funny when it, we we stopped back in Fort Wayne after you know uh, for just a short visit, and we happened to see one of ours whenever it was a turn. And like the unit looked amazing. Our cleaner is an absolute rock star. But my wife was just like, oh, she's like you know turning the pillow just a little bit more than it normally is, and all these and like she's karate chopping it to make sure it's just just right. I'm like, honey, it looks good. And she's like, oh, just just a little bit of this. So I I'm sure yeah, similar. I've literally seen. <laughs> Sarah turn a vase around because it wasn't <laughs> facing the right way it's the funniest thing to watch but I'm the same way even like as small as like our social media right like creating the posts for our social media Sarah and I are like but we want it a particular way and so we don't think that we can send it off to somebody else and we just need to like really push past that that that's wall. so funny <laughs> so I have a question I have a question for and whoever whoever can Sarah Emily whoever wants to take it first um, we usually ask the guests what their favorite book is, but I wanted to expand it to in case it's not book, maybe it's a podcast or something. Is there a book or podcast that you love that has had a significant impact on who you are today or leveled you up into who you want to become tomorrow? Um, I know I have my answers for, for that, but it's about you. So just curious if there's something that that pops in your head right away, be like, obviously that one. Yeah. Um, for me, it's not a podcast or a book. It really is an influencer. It, it just goes back and mine is Michael Elefante. Like I have a lot of respect for that guy. I think he's an amazing person, but the one portion about him that I think is so smart 
is how intentional he was about keeping a focus on his family and his life after. And so I think in the real estate world, there's a lot of noise around this like intense hustle culture and who has the most doors and who has the biggest net worth. And, and for us, it's like, we got into short-term rentals because we wanted to be able to take advantage of our time before retirement, right? We wanted freedom. Like we wanted free time. We wanted freedom of placement. We wanted financial freedom. And, and, you know, he has seemed to have had this perfect strategy um, where he's got the fewest properties, but some of the highest profits and his back end is, you know, a really light load. It's super manageable. And so I think that as like, from a holistic perspective, when I look at his strategy in particular, I'm like, that's it. Like, that's the one that I want. Um, but more unique. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm on his heels in that sense. But I just, I think that like watching him in particular, I was like, yep that's it. That's amazing. Yeah. Mine is not like a whole podcast in general. I actually just recently started getting into listening to podcasts, but I'm more of like a read for pleasure kind of person than education. So I just recently started getting into podcasts because that makes it a little easier, but there is it's episode 700 of the bigger pockets podcast with Rob Deerdick. And I have talked oh. about this literally. I every, love Rob Deerdick. I think I've <laughs> talked about this episode every single day since I listened to it. We all know who he is and we've all like watched his journey over the years. If you watched all any MTV or any TV in general, ridiculousness is on every hour of the day. And his, the way that he talked about how he had like 12 businesses going at one time and he shut them all down because he was like this none of this makes sense and he like failed so many times until he found his groove and he like schedules literally every aspect of his life he tracks exactly where his time is going every single day he had somebody like build an entire program for it it was just so inspirational to see somebody who's like that far talk about like oh I failed so many times to get here and when none of us saw him doing all that failing. And so I could listen to that episode a million times over. I recommend it to everybody. I could not agree more. Cause I, I, whenever I listened to that podcast, I was a big Robin big guy, you know, I loved watching all those things. And I just thought, you know, goofy, you know, skateboarder mm -hmm. guy that ended up just happened to get, you know, super successful, but it's like, no, this guy is a business ninja. It is totally. insane. The amount of thought that he puts into every single second of his day. If you listen to the podcast, like you were saying, he literally to the minute tracks everything that he does and he can quantify what day or what was going on during the days that he was happiest and like when he felt most fulfilled and like most accomplished. And it was crazy. And after that, it definitely made me think like, I need to get my shit together. A yeah bit. <laughs> and he like he was talking about he could never work again probably he has enough money to do that right but he was talking about how he makes like a hundred million dollars a year and he lives only off of two million of that which is a lot of money to live off of <laughs> during the year like that's nobody can even like think about that if you're at like the level we are but even now even making all that money he still lives off of so little and figures out how to invest the rest going forward because he's truly trying to create generational wealth it's not just about him being rich now I'll just want to add, Emily, to what you're saying about Rob Deerdick. First of all, shout out to my best friends in Miami, uh, Eric and Danielle. They never send me podcasts, but one time they sent me one from Rob Deerdick, and I forget what the podcast was that he was a guest of. But first of all, he's a Midwest boy, first of all, if I remember correctly. And this guy is like a branding savant. It, it, it's like, un I never, I was like, who is this guy? And, and it was very, the one thing that I actually took from him, just to build on top of what you're saying, which had nothing to do with business, was his approach to his marriage. 
So his approach to his marriage was extremely methodical. He does like weekly check-ins with his wife and they, they, he has a whole process. He, there's something he does every day. I was like, I respect this guy so, so much that, yeah, he's thoughtful about his business, but he's thoughtful about his personal life in the same way. And how many people do we know that just focus on one bucket? So just yeah. shout out to you for, for, for calling that out because I, in my own family, I don't want to, you know, to get too personal TMI. I've seen that only in one bucket. And I listened to that Rob episode. I'm like, I, I, you can do both. You can do both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As long as you're intentional about it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, on to the next one. So maybe, maybe you already answered it. Um, who is an expert in your niche? So that could either be design. It could be short-term rentals. It could be business. Who's an expert in your niche that you have looked up to? And I think we kind of had an answer, but go ahead if there's something else. Ooh, let's see. I know I look so closely up to a well, and honestly, I think the other one um, at this point now that I've really had a mindset shift around is Sarah from Tony and Sarah Robinson's. I have been so impressed with her. I think that like, you know, being a female in a male's world and when it comes to real estate, it's like you watch her who has, you know, 30 properties and is, you know, even further than we are still have imposter syndrome, still feel like, you know, she's just like riding her husband's coattails. Um, and is now starting to really step into her own and, and take ownerships that she is the CEO of her business and she is a badass. And, and so I think, you know, watching women in this space have like an upper hand and an edge and really succeed for me personally, I'm like, hell yeah, like good for her. So I've been super like recently super inspired by her. And she is genuinely one of the funniest and nicest people ever. Whenever my wife and I were out in Denver, uh, we got a chance to meet Tony and Sarah and as well as Scott Trench and a bunch of other people because Bigger Pockets just had like a, a company get together at a brewery and my wife and I went and her and Tony are hilarious. If you ever get the chance to meet them or go to like one of their uh, one of their STR Summit conferences, do it. They are so much fun. But, okay, Emily, you next. Yeah, mine is really funny because it's actually a really good friend of ours. It's Maddie. Because I feel like she's a step ahead of me, like she's had a property and sold it and I just purchased my first one. But the way that she runs her business and she cares about the hospitality, she writes notes for each one of her guests. She cares about sustainability in the communities that she's putting her Airbnbs in. That's exactly how I want to run mine. And I feel like I watch a lot of people be like, oh, it doesn't matter. The community doesn't matter. Let's just make the money. And it's so nice to see her actually doing the things that I like in my head want to do, but didn't think was maybe possible because other people weren't doing it. And so watching her actually like fulfill all of that is super inspirational to me. Love that. Fantastic. All so, right. So I, so I have a, another question. So you both are very unique. I don't think we've had or will have an other guests. Well, hopefully we have you back, but guests um, like you and not a lot of people like you, you girls. Um, what is a habit or something you do that think that made you get to this place? Like it could be something you do every day. It could be some, a way maybe you treat people. It could be an approach to design. It could be, but usually we like to bucket as it a habit because it's that we are our habits and they get us to where we are. Um, so are there, are there habits that stick out to you that make you who you are today that made you who you are today? Yeah, my, so my initial answer is not a habit actually. Um, but I think it's kind of probably Emily and I's both North star or like consistent reminder. 
Um, we have a super close girl gang. Like we have been in the same six friends for probably a decade now. Um, and two of those friends, one just recently passed away from cancer in December, but we, her and another one of our friends have got, both gone through cardiac arrest, both been pronounced dead and both revived. Um, and then one later on passed away. And so, you know, we're young, right? We're 28 years old and we have six friends and we've had two that have already passed away and one that's like permanently passed away. And so for us, I think that we've just had this really raw exposure to how short life can be. Um, and so it helps us, I think, keep our, our mind on the right things, right? It, it helps us prioritize our family. It helps us prioritize why we're doing this. It helps us not get caught up in the rat race and to really make sure that we are offering something that's quality, something that's both quality for our lives and for other people's lives. And so I think it's like a, maybe a slower, more wholesome approach to real estate investing. Um, but I know that for Emily and I, like is a constant reminder for us. And I feel like that's what kind of keeps us on the same path, keeps us aligned, keeps us sane. <laughs> Emily's <Yeah>. turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, mine's going to kind of spin off of Sarah's and it's like all feel good and all that, but I feel like latching onto the right partner was huge for our journey. Um, Sarah and I say this all the time. We maybe could work with somebody else and probably get further faster, but the friendship that we have is such a big priority for us. And I think approaching it from a friendship aspect and then just being on the same page about the way we want our journeys to work because our lives are so intertwined. I think it has just worked out really well for us in that aspect. And so I know that's like the not so technical aspect of like why we feel like we've gotten to where we are, but I just feel like our friendship being that like driving factor behind it has been really important. Yeah. That's yeah. Fantastic. Friendship top of the totem pole all the time. I love that. Love that. Cause I, yeah, my, in my, my former life, I was a nurse practitioner at a cancer Institute and that's pretty much my why as well. Why I got started in all of this, because I just saw so many people, many of them young that were getting sick. And then, you know, like, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what kind of curveball you're going to get. And so many people just, you know, especially whenever they're, you know, our age, they think that oh, I've got all kinds of time to figure it out. And it's like, no, I mean, it, it puts a little bit of urgency and there, you know urgency isn't always a bad thing it's usually a good thing because then it it helps drive you and it gives you a why of what you're doing whenever what you're doing you don't really want to have to do you don't want to have to make that next phone call with the next investor or whatever and so it helps to you know kind of bring everything uh you know forward with that that makes you realize why you're doing what you're doing and it's a, it's a big why so i love that you guys shared that thank you yeah Okay. And uh, I don't know if I could even come up with a better way to try and end it than that. That was fantastic. So uh, the last question that we have then is where can people find out more about you? Instagram handles, uh, website, YouTube channels, anything? Yes. So we are at the Carwells on Instagram and TikTok. And then our website is thecarwells.space. Awesome. 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 All right. Uh, Yoni, do you have any other questions for the wonderful Sarah and Emily? That was amazing. I think we are friends and I'm going to be learning a lot from you outside of this podcast for sure going forward. Uh, a lot to learn. I, I, you, you, you have a part of my brain that I've not accessed. So I, <laughs> Good. Yeah. So I, I, really I can honestly say, I think this might've been my favorite podcast. And I think the the title is going to need to be Midwest is best because we got four Midwesterners around. It you know? absolutely <laughs> is. It is. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay. Any uh, last remarks, anybody before I get us out? 
I don't think so. Thank you so much for having us on. This has been great. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. This has been another episode of the Fetching Cop Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Miguel? <laughs> Miguel, where'd you go? <laughs> he'll, he'll edit this out. Yeah, either way, you can edit it. Dude, that was phenomenal, guys. That was absolutely... <laughs>